0: I've found that what it's done, it's just given me such a a high level of of diversity in my own thinking um, and and an ability to solve complex problems that I don't think I'd have if I'd stayed in in just basketball, if I'd stayed in rugby, you know, if the whole sort of cognitive diversity movement, if if you try and solve rugby problems with only rugby people, you're going to get very slow incremental change, right? But if you, if you bring people and ideas in from other worlds, immediately you start getting step changes.
1: Welcome to the Find the Gap podcast, where we're going to focus on the health and well-being of the support personnel and practitioners within high-performance sport. This will act as a platform for practitioners to share their own insights and experiences that have helped them to progress to where they are today, as well as being a safe environment which they can touch upon moments of vulnerability and other emotional battles that they have had to overcome in order to be successful. My name is Sam, and thanks for joining me on Finding Up Podcast. This podcast episode is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software that performance coaches all around the world are using to build programs, distribute workouts, and track athlete progress. It is the perfect fit for professional and academy teams, sports physios, gym owners, schools and universities. The platform includes multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting features. Coaches also have the access to consultation with team builders in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyse data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up for the promo code FTG to start your 30-day free trial. On today's episode, I'm talking to Jeremy Bettle. And Jeremy is the Director of Performance Science at Northstar AI. Uh, he's been around in America in the high-performance uh, scene for some time, involved with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Anaheim Ducks in the Hockey League over in America, uh, New York City FC in the MLS, as well as the uh, Brooklyn Nets in the NBA. So he's definitely had a whole different conglomeration of uh, experiences in different sports, and I'm really, really keen to have a chat with him. So without any further ado, here is Jeremy. ready perfect cool jeremy mate thank you very much jumping on today uh 6 a.m i think it is over there that's right well mate (laughs) thank you again extra extra thank you really do appreciate the time mate how um
0: actually pretty good pretty good last night got a nice early night so i was ready for you yeah good yeah i'm I'm generally up around five so uh it's it's not too big a deal yeah
1: decent decent especially in the light of work yeah i'm sure a Mm -hmm. five a.m wake up's not the uh not the most dire of things for you, I'm sure. No, no, no.
0: No, the worst things have happened to me.
1: <laughs> um, now, just to get us rolling, mate, if you're happy to, uh, just a bit of like yeah. a classic introduction, um, educational background, uh, anything you want to share to maybe build up to where you are at the moment?
0: Yeah. So, um, born and raised in Leicester in England. Mm-hmm. Um, went to Leeds Met for my undergrad. I uh, did sport and exercise science over there. Um, Then worked at David Lloyd's in Leicester, a gym in Leicester for for a year. And then from there, thought there had to be more to this whole sort of exercise science uh, field. Um, Still very early in sports science in sport. Uh, So, you know, there weren't a ton of jobs over in the UK at that point. Um, So moved over to the States. Uh, Did my master's and PhD at Middle Tennessee State University uh, just outside Nashville. Um, While I was doing my PhD, I met the guys at USA Rugby and was very fortunate to be able to work for them through the 2007 World Cup. Um, Moved out to Santa Barbara to work for um, a physical therapy company, uh, Hayashida and Associates. (laughs) They... um, they were an unbelievable place to work, just uh, gave me a real education in that sort of transitional rehab piece um, and how to modify strength and conditioning programs um, to work with athletes who are impacted in some way by injury or soreness, but weren't necessarily gonna miss any time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a super valuable part of my career. From there, I went to the local university. It's a division one, NCAA University, UC Santa Barbara, uh, was the head strength coach there for three years? Mm-hmm. Um, worked a bit with uh, with P three uh, with Marcus Elliott. Uh, they're a very advanced sort of biomechanics, uh, sports science, more of a lab based approach to training athletes. So it was really good exposure to how to make programs super individualized. Um, then from there was super fortunate got um, the uh, the job with the Brooklyn Nets in the NBA. Uh, spent four years in the NBA. Um, they got a call from the Toronto Maple Leafs in the NHL to go up there and be their uh, performance director. So that was um, an experience like none other that I've had. It's uh, it's a real religion up there in in Canada, mm. and the Maple Leafs is um, is the the big franchise, right? So mm. it was just a real honor to be a, a part of their franchise for four years. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, then. Uh, my wife and I needed some uh, some sunshine, <laughs> so we needed to get out of there and uh, and went over to um, went over to the Anaheim Ducks, still in the NHL. And then after a couple of years there, we moved back over to the other side of the country, um, came back to New York, and to work in uh, in soccer in the MLS. Uh, we were fortunate enough to win the MLS Cup last year. So, um, and then most recently uh, left. Uh, that job and uh, have, have got out of sport altogether. So uh, now working with a um, startup company called Northstar, uh, we're a data science company around the, the sports ecosystem. Um, mm-hmm. So really helping them sort of uh, get off the ground and, and get going.
1: Yeah, cool. What was like, it's, a, it's an amazing um, catalog of, of experiences you've, you've built, but I don't know why I'm, I'm very curious. What, what, was, what was rugby like over in the US?
0: um pretty early you know in in rugby's development you know it, obviously rugby's been over here for a long time mm. but um you know a lot of expats you know mm. uh, a lot of pacific islanders um it, a decent standard the the thing over here is that the players are super physical mm. right you know they there's strength conditioning programs at the the high schools here, right, with with full time strength coaches, so mm-hmm. these guys are all like big, strong guys, um, great work ethics. the The thing that's sort of lacking is that it's not something they've grown up with.
1: Yeah. So right. certainly yeah.
0: at that point, right, they've not played since they were four or five years old. So it's it's just being that it was that half second slower on the decision making side of things. Mm-hmm. You know, really, really thinking the game, uh, but they could they could stand with any team in the world physically. Mm. um but the passion for it was unbelievable Mm -hmm. and going over we played um england south africa and summer Mm. uh, in that world cup and it was just an unbelievable experience Mm. um and the guys i think gave a really good account of themselves against you know some powerhouse team
1: And, and coming over from the uk was it like and then, what you said, then the, the, the high school programs are so immense, like the strength conditioning programs are so much from, from early ages, kind of thing. And then they're coming into college and coming to these teams quite built. Um, yeah. Is that because it's, it's, it's not like that many places around the world? Was that kind of like a shock to you, something you had to get used to? Or, um, you know, just talk about that when you first immersed into that kind of
0: environment. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, it's one of the reasons for coming over. You know, because the opportunity to be a strength coach in the UK in 2003 wasn't, you know, there, there weren't many jobs. Right? A couple of the top rugby teams had started getting strength coaches. Mm. Um, some of the football teams had fitness coaches, but they were they were football coaches. Um, so there, there was a lot of opportunity over here um, to come in and, and be a part of a formal strength conditioning program. Yeah, and that's something I I tried to to do throughout my my grad school was spend time. You know, even at Middle Tennessee, they had an unbelievable uh, strength coach and a great program around strength conditioning. Yeah, right. So I tried to spend a ton of time around those guys. Go to like, Tennessee Titans had an unbelievable program, uh, the the NFL team, and so mm-hmm. went and visited with them, and it was just an opportunity to immerse in in such a professional environment. Mm-hmm. Which you know, rugby when I was playing was it was very amateur. It was was amateur, right? So ninety five and ninety six, it turned professional. Mm. So these weren't structures that had ever been in place within any of the clubs. So I think as I was leaving, Tigers finally had a, a sort of fitness staff, and that they had come over from uh, from Australia, mm-hmm. where it was a little more common than than the UK.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, with your um, like vast array of experience, have been to rugby world cups, um, you know, NBA. Um, which I think when you were there, they they um, the Nets made the playoffs a few times, um, mm-hmm. and obviously win the championship or winning the um, winning the the league with uh, New York, the MLS. Team. Yeah. Um, did you? You know, moving across uh, from the UK, did you always see yourself in these roles? Is this where you really wanted to go into these roles?
0: Or was it just I don't like... really know where I saw myself. Um, mm-hmm. I planned on being over in the States for a year to do my Masters. Um, we're coming up on 20 years ago now, right? Yeah, so, well, um, no, I don't think so. Uh, mm. I know I wanted to be involved in sport, obviously, but I don't think you can ever dream of of being involved in as many sort of major sports and many big sort of marquee teams as I ended up being involved in. Mm. You know, so it was, um, I feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to do it. Um, you know and and have memories now that that no one else can get you know it it really was an amazing run
1: and so from your point on being this long into your uh, adventure in America would you say it's worth definitely traveling over to another country to seek out work if you're in the kind of uh,
0: industry that you're in yeah no question Uh, I think that the strongest point in my career is the diversity um, of, of my experience And I think that the more of that you can build into your career, um, the more you can learn from other people, other cultures, then it it just, it makes you a better practitioner. You know, being in three or four professional sports leagues now, Mm -hmm. as you go into teams, there's very little you haven't seen, right? And so it's Mm -hmm. almost like you go in with a product rather than a a group of ideas, right? Because Mm -hmm. you've solved most of the problems that an athlete or an organization are going to face in in some variety and the sports are are very similar as you go through you know culturally and you know the human body is the human body so i I think that we're able to to go between sports and countries pretty easily Mm. um but there's a big cultural shift so i think you you've got to be ready to accept that shift and and go into the culture and embrace it rather than try and impose your own sort of culture on your new environment
1: Mm, yeah and challenge yourself like always trying to go yeah. out there and and challenge yourself to like be further yeah. developed for sure and yeah. you kind of answered this in a in a small way but i still want to delve into a little bit more um about your experiences diving from different sports um yeah. and then how that is important for your own professional development but uh, i do want you to just uh, further um elaborate on uh one being like was it or was it not intimidating having a one certain background and going into different sports was it intimidating at any point point? and also mm-hmm. i want you to talk to me about your opinion on you know the yeah like you're saying you touched on it just before a little bit but the importance of being exposed to different leagues different sports um yeah. let, let alone different countries but just different you know soccer football nfl
0: basketball and how that's important yeah. for a practitioner's development yeah, I mean, first of all, it's terrifying. You know, mm-hmm. you, you're bloody scared to death before you go into some of these environments for your first day at work, mm-hmm. you know, because you, you've you no idea what you're walking into most of the time. Um, and, you know, going from growing up as a rugby player, um, didn't play any of the sports, just really focused in on rugby. Um, it's just, it, it's super intimidating because you, these sort of, these environments are, are a closed shop until you get through the door and you know it's um, it's one thing talking about it during the interview but then when you've got to show up on your first day and, and actually do it it's uh, it can be a really scary place you know going to the nets on my first day was absolutely terrified mm. um, but I think that I think that's when you, you're at your best right if you can if you can do it if you can get yourself through the door, you know and um get past the fact that it's an intimidating environment then i think that you start relaxing and, and becoming more comfortable and then you you immediately start recognizing the patterns of where things are things are similar where things aren't aren't so good where where you can overlay so you can keep what's good and overlay your experiences mm. right and so so i think that the more you do it the easier it gets um but I think being stretched like that, it just, it forces you to learn so much mm. um, and forces you to look at things in a different light and accept things that maybe that's not how you do it, um, but it seems to be working. Mm. Right, so they, these are all just, they're learning processes. And I, I've found that what it's done, it's just given me such a, a high level of, of diversity in my own thinking. Um and, a, and an ability to solve complex problems that I don't think I'd have if I'd stayed in in just basketball, if I'd stayed in rugby. you know if the whole sort of cognitive diversity movement, if you if you try and solve rugby problems with only rugby people, you're going to get very slow incremental change. Right? but if you if you bring people and ideas in from other worlds, immediately you start getting step changes. Mm. right you know in, in hockey we brought in a vision training program because we brought it in from sort of military and, and baseball and uh and some of my experience in, in rugby mm. right. and so we got to to make a leap there and so there, there are little examples like that where you, you just draw from all of these other worlds mm. yeah and
1: there was a when you're like for example first day at the nets you said you weren't, you know pretty scared or pretty terrified of walking through the door kind of thing but you know you you did that um it's the direct exposure like it's pretty you can't really get too much more exposure therapy to get through something that's uncomfortable (laughs) kind of thing than that but um is there anything else that you use during those first you know maybe week or two to help you get more comfortable in that situation They're like these are things that you did on your own that you, you helped kept yourself, you know, um, uh, well, like do you, do you run, yeah. do you exercise, do you meditate, things that help you help you out?
0: Yeah, I was, um, I was pretty young, um, strength coach at that point. So was, was, my workouts were what, what I'd give the athletes, you know? And so, you know, stayed in, in great shape. Um, and then from a, a sort of mental health and cognitive side, I've had a, a life coach and therapist for, well, since before I was at the Nets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that became something that was really important in my life to, to go into these new environments. Um, uh, he's a, a practitioner who's an expert in interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. And so as you step into these professional environments and the personalities get bigger, you know, basically every person you bump into has risen to the top of their field. And so it's really, it's a challenging environment, just personality wise. And you've got to learn how to deal with people. Um, And so confrontation was never something I was very good at, you know, and and even, you know, confrontational conversations. And so I think that that was a big part of, of my work with Keith was, was learning how to deal with that sort of um personality learning how to regulate my own sort of emotional reaction to a a really tough environment Um, and throughout my career we we sort of did work on that in the different environments Mm -hmm. i was in and and with the different coaches i worked with Mm -hmm. so it was um it was hugely valuable and then not only from a career standpoint but from just from a mental health standpoint you know again the the high pressure environments um, people get hurt, you know, everyone's looking at you. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of responsibility and there's a lot of money at stake now. And, you know, so to deal with some of that stress and, and cope with that, the having a therapist that I would meet with minimum once a month um, in certain environments, once a week, you know, was, was absolutely critical.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like, especially in such a results driven industry. Mm-hmm. um everyone's looking at you all the time it's uh, people you know one decision that might be a success for many could be a failure to some yeah. um and it's the ones that perceive yeah. it to be a failure the ones that you know maybe critique you heavily and it's out in the media or whatever it might be like you said yeah um uh but what i want to just first on hit like, again something you just mentioned before about like the, the confrontation uh with relate and with relationships within these leagues that have people that have met the highest standard of their job or of their, of their mm-hmm. practice. Um, and, and it's not, I think mean, too outlandish to say there's a lot of egos out there in elite sport. Like there's a lot of people yeah. out there who, who sort of my way, or the highway. Um, yeah. how, how does it affect yourself? And you say you try to, you don't like confrontation. You, uh, back then confrontation was a bit hard for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, going through it in, in a situation like that, where someone is, you know, very standoffish or, um, hard to, hard to convince of different ways, you know, how, how do you deal with the personalities like that?
0: Yeah. Um, differently now than I used to. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't think I like confrontation any more than, uh, than I used to. I'm just better at dealing with it now. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so how do you deal with it? Well, I think these people have produced really good results doing things the way they're doing them. And I think there is so much pressure on everybody in an organization Mm -hmm. that it's very difficult to convince someone to change because if it doesn't work, their career is on the line. Right. And and so it's imperative that when a coach comes in, whether it's football, basketball, or, or any other sport, they need to start producing results immediately, or they could be gone again within six months. Hmm. And so I I think you've got to approach it with a a very high degree of empathy, you know, for that individual that's in that position. And and we sort of forget that human side of, of sport because coaches and players, they get paid a lot of money, Hmm. but they, they do that because they might only be there for six months or maybe less in certain situations. So, I don't think that people are intentionally trying to ignore or disrespect you. And so like going into it with an understanding that of the pressure that someone else is under is critical. Then you've got to understand their system. You know, why are they doing what they're doing? What results are they producing? And then layer in your own opinions on how you can add to it. How can you augment what that coach is doing with your own system? and where there are um, improvements that you can make it's a change management process right this is not just you going in and and just telling them how it's got to be change is really hard for people and especially people who are really good at something um because they've always been an expert and so managing that change is a slow process and it, it's a people process rather than expertise process. Mm. Because so, change,
1: change always thinks that there's a, there's a risk
0: of loss in change, right? Exactly. Yeah. And there's a there's that loss comes in in ego, in you know you being the expert, in in fear, in threat. You know all of these different things. Mm. And so you have to approach it from a human standpoint, not just I know more than you. Because if it gets into a competition, the, the power dynamics in sport are also very different, mm. right? That coach has a hell of a lot more power than you do. Mm. And so you'll lose that battle if it just comes down to an argument, you know, because I know more than you. Mm. Um, so that change process is, is one that you must become very good at. Um, and very rarely will practitioners who make it to the pros be limited by their technical expertise. And that's where I shifted to value in my life coach so much is that it, it was going to be how I applied what I was, what I knew that mm-hmm. was going to limit me, not necessarily um, what I knew. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you, you've really got to become an expert in that field uh, as once you've, you've sort of mastered your craft.
1: Mm-hmm. But you were, more so at the ducks. Correct me if I'm wrong. During lock, during like COVID, majority COVID yeah, time right. and lockdown. Yeah, how important was your um, you know, talking to your therapist and and keeping your own mental health um well, or keeping yourself well, um, during yeah. that time at the ducks.
0: Yeah, it was um, it was critical. Uh, it was actually one of the places we we met every day. Uh, sorry, every day, every week. Um, mm. you know, it was it was a really challenging time for everyone Mm. and and i think that as the the boundaries between work and home disappeared Mm. um you know the work days that were already long and and pretty stressful got even longer because you're up you know coaches love doing early morning meetings you know and, and then you add in the stress of communication styles changed so much you know, it's it's the everybody talking over one another. You know, the early days of mass Zoom calls with people who weren't necessarily tech savvy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, everyone's talking over one another. You don't get any body language cues. Yeah. No. And so there's there's a massive tax on uh, on everybody's mental health just from from that volume of of work. And then everyone and his brother was putting on continuing education workshops online, and so. You couldn't keep up with them, you know. You're yeah, yeah. trying to do all this stuff and stay productive and stay engaged, and mm. and you ended up just exhausted, mm. right? So I think that was a, a really critical time for everybody to be addressing their mental health, and I was very fortunate to already be in a pretty good routine with that. Because mm. um, so you
1: were yeah, you was was were the, director you were director at the at the moment uh, at that point, weren't you? Director of um, high performance. Um, that's correct. And yeah. obviously, you had staff under under you um yeah. and to be a leader in that scenario when it's such an unknown weird time yeah.
0: um yeah. yeah it would have been hard right yeah it was really hard um i think it was it was a case of staying connected with everyone um we made sure we did a a check-in every monday you know and just did a, a zoom call um with the the entire staff including the minor league staff um and just, we we did stuff like everyone researched the topic and did presentations to one another and, yeah, nice. you know, just, just checked in so we could see everyone and, and stay connected. Um, made sure the communication channels were really good, um, that, that we were always sort of, everyone was informed as much as we could about what the new processes were and, and how we were going to do things. Mm. But it, it was, um, I think it was challenging for everyone, mm. you know, because they're, they're not... They're also not environments where you go into lockdown and everyone just says, "Okay, well, go on holiday and we'll we'll let you know when when it's time to come back."
1: Mm.
0: You know, it, there's a, in professional sport, there's there's a very strong culture of presenteeism, and so basically, mo- most coaches and and GMS, certainly in hockey, if they can see you, you're working, mm. right? If if they can't see you, you're not working. So it was sort of worst case scenario. Mm. Um, for a lot of people because they couldn't be seen doing any of their work right and so people started getting you know or not really targeted but you know like well, what's this guy doing Mm. that's
1: that's a really good point
0: (laughs) he's doing his work you know but Mm. like normally you walk in the door and everyone sees you and like you could walk in the door and everyone see you and you're not doing anything but okay he's at work good Mm. yeah that's
1: that's a very good point
0: yeah you could be at home super productive and everyone thinks you're you're on holiday right so it's uh it, it was a challenging time in that regard as well everyone's sort of trying to prove that they're working yeah um but with no real way to do that so
1: yeah true yeah i never thought about that um uh that that side of it in this industry that's that's yeah. very true man i'm just gonna hit you with this next one is when when uh, yeah. when when is the last one or the last time you were not the last time, sorry. When is, when is the time that you were most vulnerable or you've been the most vulnerable in your life?
0: Um that's a really good question. I um you know, I'd say um, probably at the ducks, um, you know, it was a it was a challenging role. Um very different environment to the Maple Leafs. And um, and what I found, you know, moving um, moving. Within the sport, is actually probably the time that I've I found it the hardest to transition uh, from team to team um, yeah, right. because you sort of view like I'm just I'm moving from hockey to hockey, it'll be the same, and we can just take the system that we're running and producing unbelievable results and put it here, um, and and immediately we can start. We can just flip the switch, plug it in, and and it'll the system will keep running. Yeah, right. Um, and it is, again, it, this is probably the the biggest lesson I've I've had in terms of it being a human change management process. Um, there were a number of factors that I couldn't control in that organization. That the the change at the Maple Leafs was driven top to bottom. You know, they they just wanted to change the culture of the organization, and and they changed out basically the entire organization. Right, so we all came in new with that goal of changing. Mm-hmm. I came into the ducks as the only new person. Um, I brought my uh, strength coach with me. So we come in thinking it's going to be sort of the same, but you're coming into a, a place where the GM has been there 17 years mm-hmm. so was somewhere in that region. Um, and they'd been under a lot of pressure because they had a ton of injuries. Um, and so, you know, that was something where we thought we could come in and, and fix that really quick, but people were very defensive of the system. Mm. So even though the results hadn't been good, you know, it was a, a very much, you know, come in and change the results, but don't change anything. Mm. Okay. You know, and so it was, um, it was one of those times where you, you didn't realize it, but your whole identity had sort of become wrapped up in being able to produce these results, having these big roles at these big clubs. And you don't think it's happening to you. You know, your identity is becoming ingrained in your job, but especially in, in these schedules that we're in, that it's 82 games in a year, <coughs> it, it's all you do. You don't have hobbies, you don't have um, outside friends, you, you don't have anything except your job. And so without really realizing over time, you know, you're 10 years into a career doing this. It's just sort of wrapped up into that. So then when, when things start not going so well, then you, you start getting this, this separation of your identity from your, your work. Mm. But while that's happening, it's pretty messy. Mm. So from a mental health standpoint, you find yourself getting really low, really um, like deep depression, um, mm. all this sort of stuff that that's around like, cause your self-worth is all tied into this, um, this role that you've got, right. And your your ability to be really good at this because mm-hmm. it, it's what you've done. It's what you've, you've been rewarded for all this time, you know, and, and there's so much external validation as you're in, in pro sport, um, whether it be social capital, cause you've got a cool job, um, whether it be, um, you know, a conversation starter, anywhere you go, right. What do you do mm-hmm. I work for the Maple Leafs, work for the ducks, you know, well, that's cool. Right. So you, you've always got that, that sort of conversation starter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then so you sort of get this period of, um, you know, that, that sort of falling away. Right. And a, a lot of self-discovery through that period where you, again, luckily, I had a support network there from, uh, both the, the people who I was working with, a, a couple of really close friends there, uh, as well as, as uh, Michelle, my wife and, um, Keith, my, uh, therapist and, and coach. So you sort of got supported through that, mm. but you know, there's, there's a lot of people who don't, and it, it becomes a really hard and, and dark time for a lot of people. Um, because at, at some point, you know, it, in this career, it's not going to go very well. Mm. You know, either you, you can get fired or you get um, an experience like I had and it, it's, it's really hard mentally, mm. you know? And so I think that's, that's probably, it. it's probably the the time when I've been at my lowest uh, through my career and it's um, yeah, it's a big challenge.
1: Mm. Yeah. So when you're, your identity, cause like you said, your, your role in these, uh, roles like yours are your identity you know as yeah. you know, anyone who's very passionate being a bartender for example their bartender yeah, is, yeah. is their identity but when that's yeah. being when that's being questioned or when that's being challenged yeah it does mess with you and it does you know you yeah. start asking yourself questions um yeah you know your yeah. your own um your own you're you are you are your own biggest critique um critics yeah, yeah 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 always in the back yeah. of your head, doubting yourself, questioning yourself kind of things uh, compared to when everything's flowing, uh, then those yeah. those those voices or those um, those doubts kind of disappear a little bit. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and I, yep. I, I wanted to try uh, a little bit like a word association kind of um, activity with you. Um, I want sure. to give you a word and then I want you to give me back the first memory that comes to mind that you associate with that word. Okay. And yeah, that makes sense. So, for example, if I yep. say... I don't know you I say NBA you say Brooklyn Nets I don't know and then give me your first experience that's a very bad example but I'll say the the the, the word will be um uh like an emotion or, or a characteristic yeah 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 sure so first word uh, I want to talk I want to give you is pride
0: um oh a couple of things um so well, first of all, like MLS Cup, um, this last year was was a huge moment that I was incredibly proud of. You know, proud of our our team and um, the work they've done with the players to get us there. So there, mm-hmm. there was that. Um, and then there's also the the mentorship side of of my role. You know, so all of my strength staff at UCSB ended up in the pros. Nice. Um, you know, the, the top of their game. Uh, and so, you know, I think that that's something that as I look back now, I'm incredibly proud of is, is the impact I've been able to have on, on young practitioners and be bringing people in giving them an opportunity, um, and, and watching the success that, that they're having in, in the various sports now.
1: Yeah. I love that. I love that. Uh, next one is pain. What can you link with pain?
0: Yeah. Um, Talking about this from a career perspective, right? Um, <laughs>
1: you can play up to you, man.
0: I can play up to you. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Career-wise, you know that that stuff we talked about um, in Anaheim. You know, I think you know you can you can research that club and and uh, understand a little bit more about that. But um, yeah, it was a particularly painful time in in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, the other side of that was was up in Canada. Um, you know, my uh, my wife, who's Followed me around, you know, the continent, doing all of these these jobs, and sacrificed so much in her life. Um, she went through like deep seasonal uh, depression mm. in Canada, and so you know, with the the winters there, you know, two months longer than New York, the days two hours shorter, it's cloudy the whole winter. You know, it's it's an absolutely brutal mm. uh, winter environment. So watching her struggle you know, with, uh, with depression and, and all that sort of stuff was, was, uh, incredibly painful. Mm.
1: Mm. And especially when it's in someone at home, it can uh, affect you massively as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. Um, next word is well, two words, self-awareness.
0: Um, the, the number one thing that we should all be trying to develop. You know, I think it, it's, uh, that's, been a, a ton of my work with uh with keith my therapist uh, it's something michelle and i work on a ton um and i i think that you know as you get on in your career you become a little more aware of yourself your own behaviors and and how how you impact other people
1: mm-hmm. can you think of any um time in the past where you've really been aware of your own emotions or, or actions at a time when you know for example you might have uh, reacted to something and thought back and gone oh actually I should have done that is there anything that sticks out um,
0: yeah uh, i think that f- you start going through that at um as you get into your career and you know especially early on back when you know everything um you know it's uh you, you have very strong reactions yeah. um, surrounding your own opinion mm-hmm. and and how right you are about everything. Yeah. Um, and you know, so I can think of a number of, of times with different athletes at the college level and and coaches and this and that, where you you know you're blowing up over the the, the stupidest stuff as you look back at it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that probably didn't didn't warrant that reaction. Yeah, um, yeah, I got you. I got you. And then, you know, as you go on in your career and, you know, start getting into sort of meditation, just becoming aware of your own defaults, Mm. Um, you know, your own, like you said, just aware of your own emotions, a little bit more introspection where you, um, you walk into work and you start feeling that you are just not feeling right. And you can actually do a check in with yourself and recognize that you're anxious Mm. Like, okay, well, what am I anxious about? And and sort of do a little inventory to help you deal with that emotion as opposed to just sort of spiraling away with that and you know being reactive all day. It just gives you a minute between stimulus and response to decide what the the outcome's gonna be. So hmm. I think that that's yeah, it's something that becomes more and more important. Um, and the earlier you recognize that the better. For sure.
1: Hmm. Well, in your opinion, then, because of it, most of your roles have been um, within the high performance sport, I've been a lot of director roles have been um, mm-hmm. with people underneath you. Like, wh- where do you think we, as you know, as say we as a society, for example, Americans or wherever we'll say humanity? <laughs> uh, it's, a, yeah. it's a big it's a big question. So don't overthink this one. It's a, maybe a better, right. I'm, I'm asking it in the wrong way, but where do you think we are in terms of talking about mental health in the workplace in elite sport? Uh, and now you're moving out of. The industry a little bit now. Uh, do you do you feel like you still have a role to play in that?
0: Um, I, the, there's more awareness. I don't think we have a clue what to do about it. Hmm. Um, you know, I think I think people are still very uncomfortable with it. Hmm. Um, I, I just think we we are talking about it, which is the the ver, the really important first step. Because if we're talking about it and we're aware of it it's sort of, you have that cognitive dissonance where, okay, we're not doing anything about it. Right. And, mm-hmm. and wherever there's that friction between being aware and not acting, I think there, there is a, a stimulus to, to create solutions. And so I think as an industry, we are, we are working very hard to, to try and solve some of these problems uh, in a lot of cases. Um, but it, it takes an organizational approach. It's not something that, me as a performance director can do on my own. You know, I think, the I think it needs to be a part of uh, coach education. Um, mm-hmm. cause you know, coaches tend to be, <laughs> as we discussed, very direct, very, you know, in some cases confrontational, um, and lose that empathy mm-hmm. for the, the human being that they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I think from an organizational standpoint, um, if if it's a transactional organisation from the general manager and, and coach, it can be very challenging to keep a culture of compassion and empathy as we as we go down the chain. Yep. Um, but I think if everybody's approaching it with that compassion and empathy, mm. you know, or, or at least an awareness and an attempt to do something about it, and openness to it, then I think we can we can solve the problem. Mm. Um, as far as having a role in it I, I absolutely think that it's a big part of my role as I move away from sport um because you, you're just sort of a little bit more free to talk openly about, about your experiences and and things that are going on within in clubs um without any you know the. I don't have any fear associated with it with any repercussions I don't have any um I don't have any reason not to to speak up about stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that I I do, I still have a big role to play in, in helping the industry transition there uh, as well as normalizing that conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I talking about having a therapist and, and somebody in my roles, you know, where, where we're supposed to project strength and leadership and all this sort of stuff. If it's okay for me to have one, Mm -hmm. it should be okay for you as a young practitioner to, to pursue that, that same sort of way. So I can, um, I can normalize it and let people know that everybody's struggling with it from top to bottom, Mm -hmm. you know? And so when young practitioners are coming in and ton of pressure and they think I'm, I'm good with it. I'm, you know, he's, he's doing fine. You know, you're not the only one. Your boss is struggling as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're we're all, it's very cliche to say, but we're all human. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mate. And then um, I'm, I'm very conscious of the time. I don't want to take you more than uh the hour. And I don't know if you're gonna go back to bed or what, what's up for the day today. So, um, but I, I wanted to get just like three things from yourself that you've picked up throughout your career, whether it be yeah, I don't know, a course, a person, app, um, book, just three things you yeah. can think of that have had a massive influence to help you to be where you are today. What would you say those three things would be? Um,
0: uh, my wife. Um, Massive, yeah. She's yeah. She's supported me, and she does everything that isn't my job, right? Mm. Everything in our life, right? And you know, I, if I'm not at work, I don't know how to tie my shoes, right? So I think you know, having somebody in your life and a, and a partner who is aligned with your your vision and your passion, you know, this, this is our mission. It's not my job, right? So we move around and we do this as a family unit. And, And Michelle hasn't made a friend in a decade because I keep picking her up and moving her to a new city. All right. So I think that that's number one Um, because I think if there's conflict there, then you're going to have a pretty miserable run and it's going to be a tough career. Um, I think secondly, um, finding things like meditation, um, you know, and, and mental health practices like that have been really critical. Um, starting out with Headspace, the app, um, yeah, nice, you know, because learning how to meditate is hard, right? So, having a, a structured sort of way to do that, you know, it, it makes it a little less esoteric and, and a little more just follow these instructions. Mm. Um, so I think that helped me build the habit. Um, the third thing, I, I think um, having a coach uh, and, a, yeah. and a therapist, you know, because, you know, I, I first decided it was really important um, reading uh, Ray Dalio's book, uh, Principles. Um, Principles of Ray Dalio. He, Ray Dalio is a hedge fund manager who runs Bridgewater and Associates. And he, he basically, he started it and that's now the biggest hedge fund in the world. Um, and he has a life coach Mm -hmm. and then you start looking, well, Serena pays Tony Robbins a million dollars a year to be, um, her coach Mm -hmm. and all these really successful people paying massive sums of money to have a coach. And you think, well, if they need one, I probably do. Mm -hmm. Right. And if they're willing to pay a million dollars for it, it's probably really valuable. Um, and so that's how I started looking at it. It was an investment in me and my career. <laughs> and, uh, and I think you get that investment back, you know, in, in multiple ways, financially, but also personally, um, relationally, you know, as, as you look at the quality of your relationships in your life. Mm. Um, so that, that it's been transformational for me.
1: Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, I relate to all those, and and definitely, uh, it's been a, a recurring theme of a lot of guys I've talked to about having their own coach or having their mm-hmm. own, um, you know, performance coach, whether it be a strength coach, trying yeah. to get someone to train them, like they feel as as valuable as you know, uh, the the mental side of things, the mental their yeah. own mental well being, um, and for them to learn as well, like you're saying, we, we mentioned earlier in the podcast as well about not knowing everything. Um, yeah and I think even coaches having coaches they can learn from them as well yeah uh, for sure uh, now mate what, what's next for you then if obviously you're moving out um, we touched on briefly at the start but what's what's the next steps for you
0: yeah so um, moving out of sport and, and into this startup and venture capital world is has been fascinating I'm, I'm a, about three weeks in now um, yeah nice and, and it's been absolutely brilliant I'm just I'm loving every minute of it the, the innovation and you know the the challenge for me of learning something completely new again. Yeah, cool. um, we're setting out to to solve a big problem that that I've had throughout my career around. There's more and more data coming into sport, um, so we're, we're very rich on data. We're very poor on insight, mm-hmm. and and so we're going to be leveraging um, various experts to go and help organizations create actionable insights, uh, prescriptive protocols around everything from cognitive and emotional through physical, through medical, um, as well as performance. So mm-hmm. with a goal to help in athletes, uh, reduce injury, optimize performance, and, and, but really get context and understand what the data means to them, mm-hmm. you know, did it, did it drive injury? Did it drive performance? Did it drive poor performance? And it's a way of, of them being able to reflect on their own data, um, to to see why they might have played badly you know so it, it's um it's a huge project and we're, we're super excited about it and uh i think we're going to help a lot of people with it mm,
1: that's just fascinating that sounds good it's gonna be yeah. amazing to see where it's gonna be in a few years
0: yeah mm. yeah we're we're really excited about it
1: nice i love that um and then uh what's the best way to contact you if people wanted to get in contact
0: uh probably linkedin um yeah yeah. yeah just jeremy Bethel on LinkedIn. Um, I, uh, I tend to respond to people pretty quick on there. Um, Perfect. You can see a picture of my cat if you want on Instagram, but I don't, don't do a lot of professional stuff on that.
1: Yeah, no, I really am the same. I completely agree. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put the link in the, in the show notes for you. Um, right. Uh, so people can have direct acta- access to that when they, um, when they listen in um but uh what we might do is we'll 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 finish there like i said we don't want to go more than an hour for you mate uh like we said and uh i've taken a lot out of today i've taken a lot um and i really really enjoyed. it i feel like i've talked to you like for a long time um great it's been class um but yeah we'll finish there uh hang on for a sec we'll have a bit of a chat after sure um but yeah all good thank you very much man
0: no thank you really really uh happy to have come on
1: so thank you to Jeremy for jumping on this episode. Uh, again, thank you for waking up so early, Jeremy. I uh, do appreciate the the hour-long chat that we had uh, over Zoom. It was good to, uh, to get into the, the topics that we, we got into. So again, appreciate it. Um, Jeremy went into a lot of detail about his experiences across different sports. Um, you know how he overcame that kind of initial struggle and anxiety going into a different sport like in the NBA uh, with the Brooklyn Nets, and how his life coach really, really helped him out there. His own meditation practice helped him out throughout that time. Um, he talked about some struggles he went through at individual teams and how we overcame those and transitioning to a new environment how you need to be uh, respective of the cultures that are already there so uh, really good insights from Jeremy who is a definitely um, someone who's still got a lot to give for the industry but has definitely done a lot so thank you again jeremy um so thank you to team builder for sponsoring this episode and also for stance for creating the music for this episode i wouldn't be able to do uh, the podcast without your help so thank you very much Uh, and thank you guys for listening in please uh do uh, keep listening in with a new uh, episode coming every second week here on finally get podcast and um we've got plenty of guests coming up in the next few weeks so keep listening and i'll speak to you guys soon